Father, we do just ask that, Lord, as we prepare for summer, Lord, I look forward to the, um, the uh, Easter weekend, Holy Week coming up and all the services, that we would be ones that we would invite somebody out uh, to the Resurrection Weekend services, knowing that people are more open than ever to hear uh, and come to church and and. Lord, that they would hear the good news that Jesus is alive, and that he loves them, and he died for them. And Lord, I pray that uh, we wouldn't become sluggish or just turn inwardly as a church, but I thank you that, that we can look outwardly at our community, that we would have a heart for the lost because you have a heart for them, that we would be committed to giving truth the truth of the gospel and the truth of your word because the world and those in the world are being lied to. The enemy is a destroyer. He's the father of lies. He's a master deceiver. And he's having a heyday. And his attacks are relentless on our young people and all people. And so, Lord, we come and we ask that you would use us to be light and salt and truth. Father, I pray that tonight that you would just stir our hearts as we go over chapter 27 and how far we get, Lord. Um, we know that you desire to speak to us through your word for us to not only look at the implication, but the application for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this section of Isaiah in chapters 24 through 27 that is dealing with Isaiah given that prophecy concerning the day of the Lord. Now keep in mind that that period known as the day of the Lord starts with the tribulation period. And the tribulation starts with the rise of the Antichrist according to Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. Also according to Revelation chapter 6 verse 2 the rise of the Antichrist. And in chapter 6 and through 18 of the book of Revelation tells us about the tribulation period where God is pouring out his wrath in a Christ-rejected world. And we saw in chapter 24 that no one's going to escape this wrath being poured out uh, by God on, on, the, on the world, but also the day of the Lord includes the second coming of Jesus Christ where he will come back and we will come back with him according to Revelation chapter 19. He would touch down on the Mount of Olives as Zechariah chapter 14 tells us that the Mount of Olives will heave in half and then he's going to establish his kingdom he's going to judge the nations and there's going to be the restoring of the nation of Israel all that is going to be taking place so we looked at these these chapters concerning the the tribulation period and then as we ended chapter 26 last time and we just kind of covered it very quickly I'm going to read it to you again in chapter 26 verses 20 and 21 that come my people enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you hide yourself as it were for a little moment until the indignation is past for behold the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity and the earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain and I think these these are two of the most 
interesting, fascinating verses that you may have here in the book of Isaiah, perhaps in the Old Testament, because here Isaiah is, he's talking about this time of tribulation, that all of a sudden is he comes and he says that my people come and enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you and hide yourself as then as what will take place in the tribulation period. Uh, in verse 21, he's going to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. So here is the question. What is it specifically speaking about? That there are many scholars that believe that perhaps it is speaking about when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul tells us that the Antichrist, when he rises up, he will go in the middle of the tribulation period, according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and he will set himself as God to be worshipped as God in the temple of God. In other words, that Revelation chapter 13 tells us that he will set up an image of himself and that image that he's going to command uh, there in the Holy of Holies, it's, it's very similar to what Daniel talks about, what happens with Antiochus Epiphanes. It's a study for another time, but, but the Antichrist is going to command the world to worship him. And as we saw in Isaiah chapter 14, what was the desire of Lucifer who fell and became Satan? Satan's always wanted to be worshipped. I will sit on the throne. I will be like the Most High. He wanted to be worshipped. And the, the enemy, Satan, is directly influencing the Antichrist. And at first, it seems like he comes on as a peacemaker, as he makes peace with Israel, but it's a false peace. And as he goes into the rebuilt temple in the middle of the tribulation period, that as he proclaims himself as God to be worshipped as God, he will then destroy the false church that will be on the scene, Babylon, that we've talked about, that Isaiah has been uh, telling us about, that uh, false world church that will be on the scene, Revelation chapter 17, because he alone wants to be worshipped. And then we see that no one can buy or sell unless they take the mark of the beast. And the Jews at that time are going to say, we are not going to worship you. We are not going to worship your image. And you are not our Messiah. And at that time, there's going to be great tribulation called Jacob's trouble. Jesus said that it will be great tribulation in Matthew chapter 24, such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. And when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet, that's when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple to proclaim himself as God, Jesus said, flee. He says, get out of there. We also know what the scripture tells us according to Revelation chapter 12 and as we read in Isaiah chapter 16 that it seems like there's going to be a remnant of the Jews that are going to flee to the rock city of Petra which is in Jordan today and send the lamb of the ruler to the land chapter 16 from Shelah to the wilderness and let my outcast dwell with you O Moab be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler that's a reference to the Antichrist so they a remnant are going to flee to the rock city of Petra but here's the thing the Antichrist is going to very heavily persecute the Jews at that time Zechariah his prophecies tell us and give us hint there in chapter 14 that two out, of every three, two, two out of every three Jews are going to be killed at that time. That's, that's incredible. When the Holocaust happened, 
Hitler killed one out of every three Jews. The Antichrist seems, it tells us in Zechariah chapter 14, and many Bible scholars agree with this, that two out of every three Jews are going to be persecuted and are going to be killed by the Antichrist, as well as the tribulation saints. So there's going to be that remnant that will flee to the rock city of Petra, and there they will hide. And there's many Bible scholars that believe this is the reference that is being made concerning the remnant that's going to go to Petra and it's going to be safe from the Antichrist. It could be very well that reference. But other scholars believe that it's talking about the rapture of the church. And I like to think that it is a reference to the rapture of the church because here we see, come my people and enter your chambers. And it seems like that Isaiah is saying, come my people, not a remnant of my people, but come my people and come to your chambers and shut the doors behind you. And I personally believe that we see in the scriptures that the rapture of the church is going to take place before that seven-year period called the tribulation period. And we are going to be in the chambers. We're going to be in heaven with the Lord. And then he's going to be pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. And that's what's being told here in the last two verses of chapter 26. The other interesting thing, too, is when you go to Joel's prophecies, that Joel's prophecies say that the bridegroom, when he comes, he comes out of his chambers. Same word. That he's going to come out and we're going to follow him. But before that, before the tribulation even begins, he's going to hide us in his chambers. So I believe it's a reference to my people that there's going to be a generation of Christians that are going to be raptured before the tribulation starts. And that's where Jesus says that you be watchful, you be waiting, you be wise, because I come in an hour that you do not expect. Be the wise and faithful servant that is looking for the master's return. And I believe that the rapture of the church can happen at any moment. That the rapture of the church may be the next prophetic thing that we see. We don't know the day or the hour. But we do know the seasons that we are in. And we are to take the commandment of the Lord to be watching. So interesting two verses there. And then as we go into chapter 27, in that day, uh, the Lord with his severe uh, sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, that twisted serpent. And he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. Another very interesting verse here. Now, as we start chapter 27... In that day, and I've told you that when we see that wording there in Isaiah, in that day, what day? Speaking of the day of the Lord. And again, you need to understand that the day of the Lord does not begin till the tribulation begins. And the reason I point that out and reiterate it, because there's a lot of things on the websites about prophecy and different signs that are happening. And they'll quote from Joel chapter 2. They'll quote from Isaiah. They'll quote from Revelation chapter 6 about how the moon's going to turn to blood and the sun's going to be darkened. That's all in the day of the Lord. And they say it's going to be fulfilled at this time with the aligning of these constellations and the four blood moons and all of that. And you need to be wise. And we need to be discerning. That's all in the day of the Lord. So we're not in the day of the Lord. But in the day of the Lord, as we continue to see this, that in that day with the severe sword and great strong, he will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Now, we know that that 
that Leviathan is mentioned in Job, in Job chapter 41, when the Lord is, is talking to Job and he is rebuking Job and he says, Job, were you there when I created the Leviathan? And we get a hint of the Leviathan, also spoken of in Psalm 74 and Psalm 106, that it's some kind of sea creature. I, I believe that literally it was some kind of creature that, that existed back in Job's day as he describes it as kind of a, a, a sea creature uh, uh, that flames comes from its mouth, uh, that it, it was dreadful. And, and um, you know, uh, perhaps a sea dragon, something like that, that most scholars look at. And we find it to be very interesting. I think literally there was a Leviathan that used to be around that is described here in the Bible. But here it's like, we'll punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. What does that mean? I believe that what Isaiah is talking about, and most scholarship believe this as well, is talking about Satan. That what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back, that in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, there's going to be an angel that's going to take Satan and is going to bound him up and put him in the bottomless pit there. And he's going to be there until the end of the millennium reign. And at the end of the millennium reign, then he's going to be let out for a short time. And he's going to lead one last rebellion against the Lord. And it's going to be a short rebellion because the Lord is simply going to speak. And then Satan is going to be thrown into the lake of fire where the Antichrist and the false prophet have already been thrown into when Jesus Christ came back. The first ones in the lake of fire are the Antichrist and the false prophet. And then at the end of the millennium reign, Satan is then thrown into the lake of fire. And then you have the great white throne judgment. And there you see that the unrighteous dead are going to be resurrected. It's called the second resurrection. And the books are going to be open. And those who are not found in the book of life are going to be cast into the lake of fire. None of us want to be at the second resurrection. So I want to say this. That if you're here and you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, Jesus took the punishment and the wrath and the judgment for you on that cross, dying for your sins. And he rose again and he loves you and he says, come to me. And come to me and believe in me. And as you do, realizing that he is your salvation, he's the only source of salvation and forgiveness of sin, that as you surrender your life to him, that you have forgiveness of sin, you have the hope of heaven, and right relationship with the Father. It only comes through Jesus Christ. Because the things in this book are true. And eternity is going to be passed on to everyone. It's where you're going to spend eternity. Are you going to spend it with Jesus Christ because you gave your life to him? That he's the author of eternal life as we've seen in the book of Hebrews. Or if you reject him, then you're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And that is part of the gospel. It's the part that I don't like to talk about, but it's true. Hell is real. And there's some circles of the church that are saying, very popular, oh, hell isn't real. It isn't forever. Oh, there's purgatory and things like that. It is not biblical. It's not in here. This book of truth tells us that hell is real and it's forever. And there will be a second resurrection where there are those who will stand at the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennium reign and they'll be judged for your works. You don't want to be judged for your works. 
Because Isaiah is going to declare later on that all of our works are as filthy rags before the Lord. In other words, we cannot present our righteousness and goodness to the Lord and say, let me in heaven. Because none of us are good enough. It's only through the cross of Calvary. The Bible says that Jesus died for your sins on that cross and he loves you and he calls you to come and surrender and believe in him and receive eternal life. And we're going to give you that opportunity at the end of the service if you've never done that. But here the Leviathan is, is I believe, speaking of, of Satan and, and he's going to be cast into uh, the bottomless pit at the end of, uh, you know, through the millennium reign and then let out. And, and what is interesting is that I, I think that scripture supports that is speaking of the serpent, this, this, this sea dragon in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation, the Antichrist, it speaks of that what he rises out of the sea, right? You know, here's an interesting thought. Just a thought. I was thinking about this when I was laying in bed thinking about the Bible study, just meditating on the word. You know, Joshua says, meditate on the word day and night. And that's what we're to do. And I was thinking about this, kind of connecting the dots. Revelation chapter 13, the beast rising out of the sea. The sea represents the nations. He's going to come out of that revived Roman Empire. And, and here talking about Leviathan, the symbolic of Satan that's going to be punished when Jesus Christ comes back and he is thrown into the bottomless pit and then it's sealed. And by the way, when it says that it's sealed, it means he can't get out. It's the same word that the 144,000 are sealed by God. And when those, those demonic beings come out in Revelation chapter 9 to torment men on the earth, that they are sealed. They can't hurt the 144,000. But here's something for you. That you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. As Ephesians chapter 1 declares to us, as 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 5, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. For the day of to be redeemed and the day of to, to redeem the purchased possession, you belong to him. And I love that word sealed when it applies to us. So here he's going to be thrown in the bottomless pit. He comes out of the sea, the serpent. Remember Daniel chapter 7, that Daniel sees that vision of the, the kingdoms of the nation from the time that he's prophesying right after this time, he's in Babylon, up into the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he sees four beasts. He sees, first of all, it's described as a lion, which symbolizes Babylon. Then he sees a bear. That's the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire conquered the, the known world there because they had huge armies and they lumbered along like a bear, just kind of mowing over people. And then the third beast was the leopard, right? Fast and quick. That's Alexander the Great in the Grecian Empire. And then the fourth beast, we're not told what it is. Daniel had special interest in the fourth beast. He, he, he really focused on it. And he said the fourth beast, it was terrible and dreadful. And it had ten horns. And I just wonder, again, I wouldn't make theology out of this, if what he saw was a Leviathan. This, this dreadful, terrible creature that speaks of the Antichrist. You might want to think about that when you go to bed tonight. So... <laughs> In verse 2. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, 
It's like, Lord, was it a Leviathan? Eventually it will be found out. But in that day, sing to her a vineyard of red wine in verse 2. I, the Lord, keep it. I water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I keep it night and day. Fury is not in me. Who would set briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go... through them. I would burn them together or let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and that he may make peace with me. In verse 6, those who come he shall cause to take root in Jacob and Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. You know, back in chapter 5, you might remember that God uh, is talking about the disappointing vineyard, that there is the choices of ground and 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 you know, God did everything to make the vineyard successful. The best of the vines uh, had a, a press in it. It had water, had a wall around it. It should have produced a lot of fruit, good fruit, but it only produced wild grapes. No good fruit at all. Speaking about the nation of Israel as they're in rebellion. And of course, Jesus came along in the last week of his ministry there as he's in Jerusalem. And he tells that parable to the religious leaders, the parable, of the wicked vine dressers who, you know, the, the owner of the vineyard leased it out to the vine dressers, this vineyard. And then the, the servant of the owners came and they persecuted them. Uh, they came to, to gather what was theirs, uh, that what belonged to the owner, but they were only persecuted. So the owner says, what do I do? I know I'll send my son. And they ended up killing the son. And Jesus looked at those religious leaders and said, I know what you're up to. That you want to kill me. So he tells that parable. And they would think back to Isaiah chapter 5. But what's here, we see at this time that it's speaking about the restoration of Israel. That Israel blossoms. No briars or thorns in this vineyard. And and we read in verse 5, Or let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me. May make peace with me. You know how it is that you're going to be fruitful in your spiritual life. And God desires for you to be a fruity kind of people. Not in a weird way. But to be fruitful unto him. You take hold of the strength of the Lord. And I know that perhaps there may be some of you, you're serving the Lord. You're raising your children in the ways of the Lord. That you're doing your best to walk with the Lord and you may be tired and you're weary and you're frustrated. You take hold of the strength of the Lord. And it was Jesus on that hillside that said, come to me all of you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you're here tonight and you're thinking, Lord, why do I just live for you? It seems like that people come against me. Seems like I have problems. It seems like that I'm persecuted, whatever the case may be. But you take hold of the strength of the Lord because none of us can do this in our own strength. Because the world comes against us and the enemy attacks us and We battle with the flesh and it gets hard at times. And Jesus says, come to me. And for you and I to have fruit produced in our lives, we hold on to his strength, the strength of the Lord. Take hold of it and come to him and look to him every single day. 
But it was interesting here in verse 6 as it talks about the restoration of Israel. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Today, Israel, we see a partial fulfillment of this because Israel, that little tiny nation the size of New Jersey, is the third leading export of fruit in the world. And I've been to Israel six, seven times. Um, and each time I've gone from the beginning, you know, 1990 to just last year, you see Israel becomes more green. It has blossomed. It was Mark Twain just less than 100 years ago or a little over 100 years ago that wrote how Israel, who would want to live here? It's a wasteland. There was no trees. There was swamps up north. Malaria was a problem. They drained the swamps. It's one of the most fertile places in all of the world. When you go there, absolutely beautiful. Almost every day, planes take off from Israel delivering flowers to Europe, to Paris, and to London, to Germany, to the major cities, so people in the shops can have flowers on, the, on their tables. It only takes a few hour flight to go there, to Rome, because they're one of the biggest producers of flowers. They produce more tulips in Israel than they do in Holland. Because it's, it's cheaper. The, the climate there in Israel is awfully expensive in Holland, you know, with the greenhouses and, and the expense of heating them during the winter. In Israel, you can go on the corners when, when you go through Israel um, that they're selling a dozen rosins for three bucks. That the soldiers are getting, you know, roses to take home for the Sabbat on Friday. And you can stop and you can get roses. And, and there's flowers everywhere. Greenhouses is turning green. The agriculture is absolutely amazing. So we're seeing a partial fulfillment, a restoration of the land that God also speaks about in Ezekiel chapter 36. And it will be ultimately fulfilled in the millennium reign of Jesus Christ and the restoration of his of, of, um, of Israel. But verse 7, he has struck Israel as, um, has he struck Israel as he struck those who struck him? Or has he been slain according to the slaughter of those who were slain by him? In measure by spinning it away, you contend it with it. He removes it by his rough wind. In the day of the east wind, therefore by this, the iniquity of Jacob, will be covered, verse 9 tells us. And this is all the fruit of taking away his sin. When he makes all the stones on the altar like chalk stones that are beaten to dust and wooden images and incense altars shall not stand. And what is being spoken of is he chastened them when they, at this time, we're full of idol worship. We're going to see as we go into the next chapter, which we're not going to obviously get to tonight, that he's going to address them with that. The children of Israel taken off into captivity because of their idol worship, the house of Israel in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians, and of course Judah later on by the Babylonians. But here as we look at this, the Lord struck Israel, but God shows his mercy to them. The iniquity of Jacob will be covered. And we know that, and this is really important because there's a popular doctrine out there, even that's growing among evangelical churches, replacement theology. And we've talked quite a bit about it, that Israel has forfeited its promises in all these verses that we're reading about because they were the ones that handed Jesus over to be crucified and they rejected their Messiah. And so the church now is spiritual Israel. 
And that replacement theology even takes on different forms. There are those who say, well, the United States is Israel. Listen, Israel is Israel. And to adopt replacement theology means that you have to avoid hundreds of verses in the Old Testament and sometimes whole chapters that the Lord said that I will bring this to pass, that I will keep my covenant with them. And Paul the Apostle in the New Testament, just to make sure that we understand it, that in the book of Romans in chapters 9, 10, and 11, he, he talks about his countrymen, the Jews. And he talks about, does, does, is God cast away his people? Is he through with them? Certainly not. And God still has a plan for Israel and that when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, blindness in part has come to Israel. But when he begins to, in the tribulation period, when the church is raptured, then Daniel's 70th week, again, there's still one more week that Daniel chapter 9 tells us that 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city, Daniel, and 69 of those weeks have come to pass, and there's been a gap for 2,000 years. But in that tribulation period, that there's a focus once again on Israel, and the prerequisite for Jesus coming back is that they're going to open up their eyes, and they're going to recognize that Jesus is our Mashiach, that he's our Messiah, even as Zechariah tells us that they will say at that time that where did you get those wounds? As they gaze upon him who they pierced and they will weep and they will mourn and Jesus will say, I got these wounds in the house of my friends. And you recall that as we did a recent study in Luke's gospel that when he was weeping over Jerusalem, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you. The one who stones the prophets. How I long to gather you under my wings as a chick gathers her hens, but you are not willing to come. And you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That even Jesus said that the time's going to come where you're going to receive me. And then Paul says in chapter 11 of the book of Romans that at that time, all of Israel is going to be saved. Listen, God is not through with Israel. And to say that Israel coming into the land, becoming a nation, we cannot ignore the fact that God is keeping his promises and that we are seeing Ezekiel 36 and 37 be fulfilled right before our very eyes. We are seeing partial fulfillment of what Isaiah is talking about, that the land is blooming. Absolutely incredible. And if you go to Israel today, that is full of, of children playing in the streets and in marketplaces and flowers and the agriculture is absolutely incredible and it's full of tourists and people are happy. It's the neighbors around them that are suffering. So God is, has his hand on them and as Amos says, that when they come back into the land, they're not gonna be plucked out again. So they're there to stay. And Israel is the epicenter of Bible prophecy. And that's why we watch Israel. And that's why we're watching closely. I hope that you are paying attention to what's going on. Because after Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 37 comes what? Ezekiel 38. And we are seeing the stage being set for that battle, perhaps, that could happen. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen. But we're seeing the pieces of the puzzle come together just as we talked about in our prophecy update. And even today I was reading an article that the, the 
leaders of the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, are speculating that there's going to be a major war with Hezbollah and with you know what's going on in Syria, that it's a great possibility and the threat of war is increasing every single day. Absolutely amazing how we're seeing that the stage being set for that battle to happen where God will intervene on behalf of Israel. Pay attention. Don't become sluggish. And you see, as the world gets more crazy and more confusing, as I've mentioned to you, that they're going to come and they're going to ask you what's going on. What does the Bible have to say about these things? And you're going to be able to minister in a very powerful way. But as we continue here, we need to finish the chapter in verse 10. Yet the fortified city will be desolate and habitation forsaken and left like a wilderness. And there the calf will feed and there it will lie down and consume its branches. When its boughs are withered and they will be broken off, the the women come and set them on fire. For it is a people of no understanding. Therefore, who made them will not have mercy on them and he who formed them will show them no favor and as we read this the the city of the man speaks of points to the worldly system it's going to uh, be made desolate by the judgment of God as we discuss and then verse 12 and it shall come to pass in that day what does that mean the day of the Lord in that time that the Lord will th- uh, thresh from the channel of the river to the brook Egypt and you will be gathered one by one, O children of Israel. So what's going to happen is that when the Lord comes back to restore Israel, the borders of Israel are going to expand from the, the Euphrates River, uh, which is the, um, the river mentioned here in verse 12, to the brook of Egypt, to the Nile River. Remember that Abraham in chapter 15, the borders were given to Abraham. They've never occupied that area. It goes from Euphrates to the Nile River, all there in the Fertile Crescent in that area of the Middle East. So here Isaiah gives hint to us that the borders of Israel will increase. The children of Israel are going to be gathered so it shall be in that day that the great trumpet will be blown and they will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria and they who are outcasts in the land of Egypt and shall worship the Lord in the holy mountain of Jerusalem. So we know that when the Lord comes back as Matthew chapter um, 24 verse 31 tells us that he will send his angels with the great sound of the trumpet that's this trumpet being spoken of here in verse 13 and gather the elect from the four corners of the earth now those who will come along particularly who hold on to a post-tribulation view and there are brothers in the lord there are friends i just don't agree with them they say the elect is the christians that will come together that has survived the tribulation period well the elect can be the children of israel We're going to see later on in Isaiah here um, that in chapter 45, verse 4, that Israel is called my elect. The Lord says, Israel, my elect. So the Jews, Israel is their elect, but the church is also called the elect. Therefore, as the elect of God, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Peter calls us the elect and John the elect. Here's one thing I don't want you to be confused about because there's a doctrine out there that's called double covenant. It is taught by teachers that are well known. If I said their name, you would know them. And the double covenant says this, that because the Jews are God's chosen people, which they are, and the apple of his eye 
that they are automatically saved. And that's not true. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And aren't we seeing in the book of Hebrews that the old covenant had to be replaced? Why? Because it could not bring salvation. And if being a Jew and observing the law and, and the old covenant and, and the feasts and, and the sacrifices and all that, if that could save you, then why did Jesus have to go to the cross? So be careful that we want to know from the scriptures that yes, God has a plan with Israel and that he is going to fulfill his promise and that we are to respect that and, and we can look at it and we can see how Israel is the epicenter of God's you know, future prophetic plan and all of this and it's exciting to see. But the other side of the spectrum is that we don't want to idolize them. And there are those who do that and say, well, it's a devil covenant. They, they, they have salvation apart from Jesus Christ. That is not true. Then Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross. In the garden, he was praying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup? The cup of suffering and death. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus said to Peter, to Peter, I'm going to take on the cup of suffering and death. There was no other way. And if there was a way for any man or any woman to be saved, apart from Jesus going to the cross, he wouldn't have had to go. So when you hear that, if you ever do... Don't embrace that teaching because it's a false teaching. Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for the Jew and the Gentile. And that's what Paul went. He said, oh, I wish that my fellow countrymen there in, in Romans chapter 10, how I pray for their salvation. I myself would be a curse if they would be saved. And Paul realized that's why he had such a heart for them that they needed the gospel. And then in chapter 10, that they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, tried to establish their own righteousness, right? Because they don't know the righteousness of God that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So don't be confused by that doctrine of double covenant that some will try to, to put out there and there are those who embrace it. And that's a doctrine that's growing as well. Jesus is our hope. He is our only hope. And these things are going to come to pass. And we got a wonderful future because I really believe, as chapter 26 says, that the trumpet, oh, not this trumpet that we're talking about, but another trumpet where we're going to meet the Lord in the air and forever be with him. And Jesus said that there will be that time that I will come and receive you to myself, that where I am, there will be you be also. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for this short chapter, but there's a lot in there and a lot to talk about. And, and Lord, um, Isaiah is so fascinating to see how he confirms with what's written in the rest of the prophetic scenario given to us in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. So Lord, may we be watching and waiting and looking for our master's return not to be weighed down with carousing and worldliness, as Jesus said, so that day overtake you. Lord, we want to be looking to you. And so, Father, I pray if there's anyone that's here, maybe 
here in this building or listening on live stream or later on the radio, that you've never truly given your life to Jesus Christ. He is your salvation. That it doesn't come by trying to be good in your own efforts and because none of us are good enough. We all fall short and we've all sinned and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of eternal life comes for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any of us should boast. So if anyone is here tonight and you've never asked Jesus for forgiveness and to receive him as your Lord and Savior, please do so right now. Because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And you can pray right where you are that Jesus, I believe today is the day of salvation for me. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I, I understand that I'm not good enough or that you died for my sins, all of my sins. I believe that. And you cried out, it is finished. And I thank you for that. Forgive me. And I believe you're alive you're speaking to my heart and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior and I thank you for bringing me here tonight in your love and oh you have such a wonderful promise of eternal life and, but Lord also I want to know you and I want to hold on to your strength and I want to be used of you So thank you for hearing my prayer. Father, I pray if there's anyone that prayed that prayer that they would come up and let me know as we conclude here in just a minute. But for all of us, some of these things can be kind of heavy or a lot of these things Christians don't study or they don't hear about, but Lord, they're true. And so Lord, I thank you that we can look at these things and it stirs our hearts because we are living in very perilous times and we are rushing towards eternity and looking forward to when you say come up here and we're with you but in the meantime we want to be light and salt and we want to be used because we are here for such a time as this and I thank you for tonight I just pray that you'd bless everyone here as we go our way the rest of our week Again, just um, as spring is coming and, and there's life and, and things blooming and um, all of that, that there would be that happening in our lives spiritually. Just being refreshed and renewed and growth. And Lord, growing in you, growing in your grace. So Lord, thank you for tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?